um, you know, uh, 10, 11 years ago. And uh, we are now in the, toward the end of the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 49. We were able to go through the first half of this uh, amazing uh, chapter. And just to kind of summarize, the book of Isaiah is a microcosm of the whole Bible. Uh, mirroring the Bible, and not only is it divided between two sections, just like the Old Testament and the New Testament, 39 chapters in the beginning of Isaiah, mirroring the Old Testament, and then now we're in the last 27 chapters, which mirrors the New Testament. So starting in chapter 40, we see this amazing comparison of the Messiah coming to earth, the suffering servant, the one who's going to save his people from their sins. And last week, we, we learned about why we are in need of a Savior. Every single one of us are in need of a Savior because all of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. And tonight, we get to see a glimpse of who, just the beginning part of who that Messiah is. What he's going to do for those that he's going to die for. In fact, in this next section, starting in chapter 50, going all the way to chapter 53, we see one of the most detailed descriptions of not only what the Messiah will suffer, but in, in perfect detail, events of torture that have never, haven't even been invented yet of predictions of what will happen to the Messiah. In fact, the second most times in the Old Testament, we see the description of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ before crucifixion is even invented. And beginning with this section as we're going through, we see the reason why the Messiah comes. It's because he loves you and me. And he does it for his glory alone. In fact, we're going to pick it up there in verse 10 of Isaiah chapter 49. They neither hunger nor thirst, neither heat nor sun shall strike them. For he who has mercy on them will lead them. Even by springs of water, he will guide them. I will make each of my mountains a road and my highways shall be elevated. Surely these shall come from afar. Look, those from the north and the west, and these from the land of Sinim. Sing, O heavens, be joyful, O earth, and break out in singing, O mountains, for the Lord has comforted his people and will have mercy on his afflicted. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me and my God has forgotten me. And two of the most incredible verses in the whole Bible. Can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb? Surely they may forget. Yet I will not forget you. See, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. And so, Father, tonight as we approach this amazing section in the book of Isaiah, the perfect reason why you come for us 
it may seem like our, our relationship with you is broken at times and, and no fault on your part. It's, it's always our fault. It's because of our sin, our choices. But yet at the same time, you always reach out and forgive us. You always initiate the relationship. You always reach out to us first, even before we think of reaching out to you. And to have that intimacy, to know that the very nail prints, as we sung about earlier, as was described to us by um, uh, Rebecca and, and by Kat, that that the intimacy of knowing that you died on the cross for us individually, individually, knowing each of the names of the people uh, that would accept you and knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt that you came for us for your own glory, the intimacy of knowing you personally. Remind us of that. Uh, get rid of the religiosity, the traditions in our, in our hearts and our minds. And refresh in our hearts tonight a desire to know you more. A desire to know you deeper. Uh, a desire to know you intimately. We thank you so much for what you're doing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen. Yeah, this is one of those sections that, you know, we, we kind of, uh, you know, have in our, our thoughts that you've probably never even heard a, a sermon on chapter 49 or 50 or 51 or 52. Normally we, we hear sermons, especially Christmas time, we'll hear them on, you know, Isaiah 7, Isaiah 9, you know, or, or Easter time. What do you hear? Isaiah 53. But all these amazing chapters in between, they're the segue, they're the preparation for these massive chapters that are full of theology. Why did Jesus come? Starting in chapter 43, all the way up to chapter 49, we get the reason why. It's because God sees us as weak and needs to come to this earth for us. We can't go to him in heaven. It's impossible for us to do it. And so God came to earth as a little babe in a manger, described all the way back in Isaiah chapter 7, Isaiah chapter 9, the holy, holy, holy one of Isaiah chapter 6, who comes down to this earth to have a relationship with you and with me. And then the intimacy that we see described in these amazing verses. Just as the intimacy between a, a baby and its mother. My, my wife's a NICU nurse. And, and she always, you know, describes to me how, you know, when a baby is first born, they need skin time. They, they need to have that touch from a human being. A, a touch of, on the mother's breast. On the mother's chest. That intimacy that's developed literally from birth, that, that privilege of knowing that little baby intimately, and then have that same description of God and us. Even if a mother forgets their baby, God 
will never forget you. Isn't that an amazing phrase? And then the intimacy of knowing that your name is written on the palm of his hand. The same hand that was crucified for you and for me. To know that those scars, the only wounds in heaven itself, the scars on the Lamb of God, will bear our name. Intimately dying for you and for me. Just as we sang last week after our communion service, that amazing hymn, Before the Throne of God Above, I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love, whoever leaves and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me hence depart. Who's the one that now intercedes for you and me? Jesus Christ. The intimacy of knowing that he calls out our name to the Father. In verse 17, it continues on there. Your sons shall make haste. Your destroyers and those who laid you away shall go away from you. Look up your eyes. Look around and see. All these gather together and come to you. As I live, says the Lord. You shall surely clothe yourself with them all as an ornament. And bind them on you as a bride does. The, the beauty of understanding that all of our righteous works clothe the church. The beauty of seeing in the book of Revelation, the wedding feast of the Lamb, where the church is arrayed in that fine linen that is made up, not of fine fabric, but of your righteous deeds that you have done in the name of Jesus Christ. The beauty of that picture is beyond anything that we can imagine. And then to have it described here, you see, those that are saved will be the beauty of Israel. Those that are saved will be the beauty of the church. Those that you bring to the Lord are the only thing that you can take to heaven. Do you know that? The souls of man, the eternal souls. And the privilege, we've been going through the book of Ezekiel on, on Monday nights uh, with the men, and, and we've been learning this uh, word called watchman. And Ezekiel is called multiple times throughout the book of Ezekiel to be a watchman. And the watchman has two jobs. It's, you know, in the description of the name watchman, the first one is to watch. It's kind of a duh, you know, uh, the very good description for men. We're supposed to watch, but there's also another job that the watchman has, and it's to warn. When he sees danger coming, what is he called to do? To warn. Because if he doesn't warn, the guilt will be upon his own shoulders, will be upon his own soul. Ezekiel is called to be a watchman, but unfortunately, many times, instead of being observant, we're oblivious. 
we're oblivious to what God does all around us. We're, we're oblivious to the things that he does and gives to us on a daily basis. We are oblivious to his blessings. We want more and more and more rather than being content with what God has already given to us. See, the most amazing gift that we have is Jesus Christ himself. The, the most amazing privilege is having a relationship with God personally. And we should be joyful and literally shouting it from the mountains as we sang earlier. Verse 19, for your waste and your desolate places and the land of your destruction will even now be too small for the inhabitants. And those who swallowed you up will be far away. The children you will have after you have lost the others will say again in your ears, the place is too small for me. Give me a place where I may dwell. And then you will say in your heart, who has begotten these for me since I have lost my children and am desolate, a captive and wandering to and fro. And who has brought these up? There I was left, left alone, but these were they. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will lift my hand, the very hand that has your name on it, by the way. I will lift my hand in an oath to the nations and set my standard for the peoples. They shall bring your sons in their arms and your daughters shall be carried on their shoulders. You see, many times we are so selfish with our relationship with Jesus Christ. We, we want God all to ourselves. When God has called us to share that relationship with every single person that we come in contact with. The sphere of influence that every single one of us have in this room. Now, I, I don't have the privilege of knowing some of the people that you know or even all the people that you know. But I know that I can share my relationship with Jesus Christ with those that I come in contact with. And you can share your relationship with people that you come in contact with. And the privilege of knowing that it starts in, in our you know, immediate sphere and then it grows and it grows. Our Jerusalem and our Judea and then our Samaria and then unto the uttermost parts of the world. The intimacy of God with us. And people are longing for intimacy today. People are longing for a real relationship. Something that's not just, you know, on a machine. Or, or something that's not just virtual. They want something real. And you have the real. You have Jesus Christ. The intimacy of knowing that he has your name written on his hand. In fact, in verse 23, kings shall be your foster fathers and their queens your nursing mothers. They shall bow down to you with their faces to the earth and lick up the dust of your feet. Then you will know that I am the Lord for they shall not be ashamed who wait on me. We're alternating on Monday nights, the book of Ezekiel with the way of the master, which is, is basically an evangelistic tool. The, the, the privilege of going out and telling other people about Jesus Christ. You see, we should not be ashamed of what we have. 
And the world wants us to be ashamed. The world wants us to cower. The, the world wants us to be afraid. But you have something that you should be willing and wanting and bold to share with those around us. The privilege of knowing our God. For they shall not be ashamed who wait on me. Verse 24, shall the prey be taken from the mighty or the captives of the righteous be delivered. But thus says the Lord, even the captives of the mighty shall be taken away and the prey of the terrible be delivered. For I will contend with him who contends with you and I will save your children. Who's the lion that stands behind you? Who's the one that gives you boldness? Like we've been talking about over the last couple of months, the privilege of knowing that I'm just that little cub, but my dad's a lion. And I can be bold knowing that he's on my side. When all the other animals on the savannah run, I get the privilege of being able to have an intimate relationship with the lion of Judah. I have the privilege of knowing God personally, and so do uh, you. <coughs> Excuse me. I will feed those who oppress you with their own flesh, and they shall be drunk with their own blood, as with sweet wine. All flesh shall know that I, the Lord, am your Savior and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. You see, God is going to send Jesus Christ to this earth. Jesus being that definition of salvation itself. The Word of God made flesh our redeemer and who is he many people deny his deity but even as we're going to see walking through these next couple of chapters i'm so glad you're here tonight because you get to see not only the deity of jesus christ described in the old testament by the way but also the intimacy of the holy trinity the triunity uh, god the father god the son god the holy spirit and it starts with the Redeemer, the Savior, the Messiah come to earth. Who is he? The mighty one of Jacob. That definition that's only given to God himself. That definition that only comes from the glory of who God is in his personhood. Chapter 50, verse 1. Thus says the Lord, where is the certificate of your mother's divorce whom I have put away? Or which of my, of my creditors is it to whom you, I have sold you? For your iniquities you have sold yourselves. And for your transgressions your mother has been put away. Who chose to sin in our lives? You didn't make me sin. I didn't make you sin. God didn't make you sin. The devil doesn't even make you sin. Whose choice is it for us to sin? It's my choice. I sin because I choose to sin. It, it is my fault when I sin. The understanding is that not only have we sold ourselves into slavery, just like what Pastor Mike was talking about on Sunday, the, the amazing book of, of Romans, it is my choice when I sin. All of us 
have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all of us are in need of a Savior. Why, when I came, was there no man? And why, when I called, was there none to answer? Is my hand shortened at all that it cannot redeem? Or have I no power to deliver? Indeed, with my rebuke, I dry up the sea. I make the rivers a wilderness. Their fish stink because there is no water and die of thirst. I close the heavens or clothe the heavens with darkness, and I make sackcloth there covering. God will go even through the hardest of places to come and bring salvation to you. Was it us that thought of the way of salvation? Was it us that thought of this plan for humankind to be saved? Who was it? God himself. It was God that reached out to us when we were his enemies. It was God that reached out to us when we did not deserve his righteousness. It is God that reaches out to us. The amazing book of Hosea, eh, you just read the, the first three chapters. It's one of the most amazing books describing these events. Someone who is so undeserving of, of salvation. Someone who is so undeserving of forgiveness. And God reaches out to the lowliest of persons. And he reaches out with his own blood for us. And then he makes a new covenant, just as we learned about last week in communion. Every single time we take communion, what do we have the privilege of learning about? A fresh and a new, a new covenant in his blood. Verse four, the Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned and I should know how to speak. A, a word in season to him who is weary. A, he awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to hear as the learned. I, I have the privilege of being a part of a, a chat group, the, the men in our, our church. And uh, we have construction workers. We have, you know, just, just people that work on cars. We have people that, you know, just, you know, have no, you know, real education at all. And yet what do they do? They share these amazing verses every single morning. And it's such an amazing encouragement uh, to know that not only does God use those that may not have a formal education, he has given each and every single one of his children the Holy Spirit, the wisdom that every single one of us have the privilege of saying, God, I need your wisdom now. And what does the Bible say he will do? Give it to you freely. Isn't that amazing? And then you can share that with those around you. Verses five and six, the Lord God has opened my ear and I was not rebellious, nor did I turn away. I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheeks to those who plucked out the beard. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. This is the first of the messianic prophecies. As we're gonna walk through each and every single one of these chapters, they all foretell what will be the torturous, literally in detail, the torturous extremes for which Jesus Christ will go through for you and for me. 
In fact, in Matthew chapter 26, verses 67 and 68, 700 years after this prophecy is written down by Isaiah, it comes to pass. Verse 67 of Matthew 26, it says, And they spat in his face and they beat him. And others struck him with the palms of their hands, saying, Prophesy to us, Christ, who is the one who struck you? And then in the very next chapter, then they spat on them, they took a reed and they struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they took the robe off him. They put his own clothes on him and they led him away to be crucified after being scourged, as we're going to find out in chapter 53, after his back is literally ripped open and then putting that robe and then ripping it off after the scabs have formed. The, the torturous extremes to which the Roman soldiers went through to shame Jesus Christ. I've never had a beard, but I have hair. And I know what it's like to, you know, have your hair pulled, never to be plucked out. But can you imagine the, the sensitivity of your face as your beard is literally being ripped out of your face by the roots with pieces of skin being pulled out as well? Just the utter torture that Jesus Christ went through for you so that he could have your name on his palm, so that he could die for you and for me. Verse 7, for the Lord God will help me, therefore I will not be disgraced, therefore I have set my face like flint, and I know that I will not be ashamed. This too is a prophecy written 700 years before it actually took place. This happens a week before Jesus Christ's crucifixion, knowing that his beard is going to be ripped out, knowing that he's going to be scourged, knowing that he's going to die and suffer, knowing of the torture that he will go through. He sets his face like flint. He purposely walks toward Jerusalem. In Luke chapter 9, verse 51 to 56, now it came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem, not looking to the right, not looking to the left, but going to Jerusalem at the perfect time, one week before the Passover, by the way. At the time when every single one of those lambs were about to be set aside and inspected. Jesus Christ himself is going to be inspected for a whole week. Uh, people are going to see not only what he does, but his disciples are going to have that intimate relationship with him for one whole week in that town. And they're going to see what he does. As the people are laying down their palm branches, he's going to walk over through those into knowing that those same people will later on in that same week say, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Luke chapter 9 verse 52, it continues on, and he sent messengers before his face. And as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him. But they did not receive him 
because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, uh, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? Those sons of thunder, James and John, wanting to defend their master, wanting to defend their rabbi. And what does Jesus say? But he turned and rebuked them and said, you do not know what manner of spirit you are of. For the son of man did not come to destroy man's life, but to save them. And they went to another village. And a week later, Jesus Christ dies, not only for this city, but for James and John, by the way, who wanted to destroy that city. For you and me, who think that so many times we are better than others. Who, who so many times we, we think that, you know, I have it all and I should be able to keep it for myself. We are so selfish in our salvation. We are so selfish in our relationship with God. Verses 8 through 11 of Isaiah chapter 50, it continues on. He is near who justifies me, who will contend with me. Let us stand together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near me. By the way, every single one of these personal pronouns is capital letter. The me, the my's, every single one of these as we're walking through these chapters, they're all referring to uh, the Messiah. Surely the Lord God will help me. Who is he who will condemn me? Indeed, they will all grow up like a garment. The moth will eat them up. Who among you fears the Lord? Who obeys the voice of his uh, servant? Going all the way back to Isaiah chapter 40, Isaiah chapter 42, Isaiah chapter 50. The, the suffering servant. Why did Jesus come to this earth? Not to lord it over us, but to submit to the will of the Father. Just like Pastor was talking about uh, on Sunday. That willful servant who chooses to continue to be a servant, and then is pierced through. Just as Jesus is going to be pierced through for us, who walks in darkness and has no light, let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely upon his God. Look, all you who kindle a fire, who encircle yourselves with sparks, walk in the light of your fire and the sparks you have kindled. This you shall have from my hand, you shall lie down in uh, torment. What happens to those that reject the grace of God? What happens? As we see here, just a little glimpse, by the way. What will be the suffering of those that reject the grace of God? That reject his offering hand? That reject his nail-pierced hand? That reject what he did for them on the cross. What will happen to them? As it says here, fire, torment. Chapter 51, listen to me, you who follow after righteousness. You who seek the Lord, look to the rock from which you were hewn. And to the hole of the pit from which you were dug. Look to Abraham your father and to Sarah who bore you. For I called him alone and blessed him and increased him. 
you see, Abraham, at the age of 60, by the way, was just a moon worshiper living in Canaan, the land of Ur. That This guy who, who had no knowledge of, of God himself personally. It wasn't Abraham who sought God. It was God who sought Abraham. Not when he was, you know, uh, having faith in God, but when he himself needed to have faith in God. It was God who initiated the relationship with Abraham. It was God who initiated the relationship with Jacob. It was God who initiated the relationship with every single one of the godly men in the Bible. It was God who initiated the relationship with you and with me. Not only does he initiate the relationship, but he blesses those that come to him. For the Lord will comfort Zion. He will comfort all her waste places. He will make her wilderness like Eden and her desert like the gardens of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in it. Thanksgiving and the voice of melody. You see in verses 1, 4, and 7, we're going to see this word, listen. In verse 1, we see it in the very first word of the first verse there. In verse uh, 4, we see it, very first word of that verse. And then in verse 7, we also see it again. All throughout the scriptures, we see this cry to listen to God. But you know what we do most of the time when we talk to God or when we pray? What do we do? You know it. We bring our shopping lists. We bring all of our prayer requests to God, right? We're the ones that are talking. And then what do we do when we say amen? In Jesus' name, amen. And then what do we do? We immediately get up and go about our day, right? What is God calling us to do? Not only in this chapter, but also in the later on in the same chapter, we're going to see this listen and then we're going to see wake up, wake up, wake up. Because so many times we are so dull to the words of God. We are so deaf to the words of God. And God calls us to listen to him. Oh, it is so hard in our society today to listen. Because what do we want to do? We want to get our point across. We want to get our opinion across. We want to get who we are out there, right? Rather than listening to the one that made you and me. Have you ever just taken a, a you know, whether, you know, and, and this is hard to do even two minutes or five minutes or 10 minutes. Just sit in silence and listen to God. Guess what? He has a lot better things to say than we do. By the way, he knows all your prayer requests. Before they're even given to you to pray for, by the way. How many times do we not listen to God? He is a lot wiser than any of us. He is a lot more knowledgeable than any of us. And he wants to talk to us intimately. 
Again, verse 4, listen to me, my people, and give ear to me, O my nation, for law will proceed from me, and I will make my justice rest as a light to the peoples. My, my righteousness is near, my salvation has gone forth, and my arms will judge the peoples. The coastlands will wait upon me and my arm they will trust. Three times we see the word listen. Three times we see the word salvation. Three times we're going to see the word awake, awake repeated. Because Jesus is going to come to earth. And by the way, that name Jesus means salvation. The one who's going to save the world is coming to earth. The Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ, Jesus Christ, salvation anointed to come to this earth as God incarnate, God with us, Emmanuel. The privilege of knowing God intimately. intimately. Do you want to have a relationship with him? Listen to him. Verse 6, lift up your eyes to the heavens, look on the earth beneath, for the heavens will vanish like smoke. The earth will grow old like a garment, but the, and those who dwell in it will die in like manner. But my salvation will be forever, and my righteousness will not be abolished the second time this word salvation is used in this chapter is to describe the eternality of salvation. Many people, you know, say, and I, I've had conversations even with people that used to come to this church who no longer believe that Jesus Christ is God. And I take them to these verses and I say, how long is salvation for? When was Jesus Christ literally in existence for? Not when he came to this earth, but even before. At the very beginning of creation, in eternity past, Jesus Christ's salvation was there for you and for me. The earth, the sun, the moon, the stars, that, you know, those, those things that people ooh and awe about, whether it's on the news when James T. Kirk goes up into the space, right? All of it's going to burn except for what? salvation aren't you glad salvation is forever i am because if it was temporary i know i would lose it i would lose it so easily just like i lose my car key just like i lose many things ask my wife but salvation is forever and it's secure in Jesus Christ. By the way, it says their last phrase, my righteousness will not be abolished. No one can take it away from you. Amazing. Third, listen. Verse seven. Listen to me, you who know righteousness. You people in whose heart is my law, do not fear the reproach of men, nor be afraid of their insults. <clears throat> this is why we're many times afraid to share the gospel. And what is Jesus saying? What is God saying in these passages? 
Don't be afraid of them. Don't be ashamed. Don't be afraid to tell others because you have a bigger God. You have a bodyguard. You have a lion standing behind you. You can be as bold as a lion, not in your own strength, not, not in my own you know, enunciation or, or my own preparation, but in what Jesus Christ does through us. Every single one of us have a unique testimony. And you can tell that to someone else. Verse 8, for the moth will eat them up like a garment and the worm uh, will eat the, or, and the worm will eat them like wool, but my righteousness will be forever and my salvation from generation to generation. Isn't that an amazing thing? We're supposed to be passing down the good news to the next generation. Those that are coming up, those that are out there on the Ignite Circle, those that are being taught by amazing men and women that are giving up their time right now uh, to serve the next generation of believers. Uh, the, those that work in our youth ministry to serve the next generation of believers. Those that, by the way, will be standing up here in the future, leading us in worship as they do already, preaching the gospel. Whether it's on Sunday or hopefully even on Wednesday night. So I have a break. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. The very definition of this name, for he will save his people from their sins. Salvation manifested here on the earth for us to touch, for us to be able to see. The third awake, 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 put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake as in the ancient days and the generations of old. Are you not the arm that cut Rahab apart and wounded the serpent? Are you not the one who dried up the sea, the, the waters of the great deep that made the depths of the sea a road for the redeemed to cross over? So the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing with everlasting joy on their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness, sorrow and sighing shall flee for them. I, even I, am he who comforts you. Who are you that you should be afraid of a man who will die and of the son of man who will be made like grass? You see, in this passage, we see the work of the Holy Spirit. What did Jesus say would be the one who would come after him? What is the name of the one who would come after him? The comforter, what we call in the Greek, the parakletos. The one who will be the seal, the comfort. I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior. And immediately, right away, the Holy Spirit comes into our life as a guarantee, as a seal, as the comforter. Not to do less than Jesus Christ, but even to do greater as Jesus Christ himself said, we see the work of Jesus Christ bringing salvation. We see the work of the Holy Spirit guaranteeing, comforting that salvation. And then in verses 13 through 15, we see the work of Yahweh himself. 
the Godhead Trinity, triunity, working in perfect harmony to bring salvation to a people that do not deserve it. Verses 13 through 15, I'll just read all of these together. And it says, you forget the Lord, your maker, the, the God of creation itself, who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth. But you have feared continually every day because of the fury of the oppressor when he has prepared to destroy. And where is the fury of the oppressor? The captive exile hastens and he may be loosed. That he, may, that he should not die in the pit and that his bread should not fail. But I am the Lord your God who divided the sea, whose waves roared. The Lord of hosts is my name. That by definition, that title that we see many, many times throughout the Old Testament literally means the one who is the commander of the entire hosts of the armies of heaven itself. For what, from which one angel can come down and literally destroy an army of 185,000 men. The privilege of knowing the God of the universe personally is coming to save us. You see, when we look at our problems, what happens? <clears throat> our problems become huge. We focus on those things that oppress us, as we see here. But what happens when we look to our God? We see the majesty and the might of who God is in our lives. And our problems become small in comparison to the God that we serve. We should always focus on who God is. Uh, verse 16, I have put my words in your mouth. I have covered you with the shadow of my hand that I may plant the heavens, lay the foundations of the earth and say to Zion, you are my people. Awake, awake, stand up, O Jerusalem, you who have drunk at the hand of the Lord, the cup of his fury, and have drunk the dregs of the cup of trembling and drained it out. There is no one to guide her among all the sons she has brought forth, nor is there any who takes her by the hand among all the sons she has brought up. These two things have come to you. Who will be sorry for you? Desolation and destruction famine and sword by whom will i uh, comfort you you see the nation of israel rejected the salvation of god not only during this time but also when salvation literally walked amongst them when the christ the messiah came to this earth what did the israelites do to the one who came to save them Oh, yes, they had the lip service at the beginning of the week. Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But as soon as he dashed their hopes of overcoming the Roman Empire and instead wanted to save them from their sins, what happened to their cry? Crucify him. Crucify him. Crucify him. And from the very cross, what does he cry out? Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The one who was forsaken for us. So that we could experience intimacy with God forever and ever and ever and ever. 
Verse 20, your sons have fainted. They lie at the head of all the streets like an antelope in a net. They are full of the fury of the Lord, the rebuke of your God. Therefore, please hear this, you afflicted and drunk, but not with wine. Thus says your Lord, the Lord your God. And by the way, every time you see uh, these descriptions of the name of God, you see uh, capital L, small o, small r, small d. This is the title of God. This is the, the word um, uh, Adonai or, or the, the word for, you know, a title of God. And then the capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, this is the name of God. And then the G-O-D, this is the word Elohim. Uh, in the scripture, the very uh, essence of who God is in his very being. All three, by the way, are mentioned in the same verse. Lord, Adonai, Lord, Yahweh, God, Elohim. Every single one of them who pleads the cause of his people. See, I have taken out of your hand the cup of trembling and the dregs of the cup of my fury you shall no longer drink it. This is the most amazing thing that Jesus Christ is going to do for us. See, not only does he save us from our sins, and thank God that he does, by the way. We, we know that Jesus Christ came to this earth to be crucified for us, to pay the penalty for my sin. But do you understand what that penalty is? We, 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 we describe it as hell, but it's literally the wrath of God poured out on his very son. The wrath that I deserved, the punishment that I deserved. Who took that punishment for us? Jesus Christ did. Described here, he accepted the cup of the fury of God and he purposely chose to accept that. What did Jesus pray there in the Garden of Gethsemane? Sweating drops of blood, by the way. What did he say? Take this cup, this very word here, the dregs, the cup of the fury of God. Take this cup from me. But then what did he say in the very next phrase? But not my will. Thine be done. Submitting to the will of God. Being a servant. Not exhorting his will or his privileges. But accepting the plan. The very salvation of God for you and for me. By the way, aren't you glad for that? That Jesus didn't argue with his father and say, Well, I don't think it should be done this way. Aren't you glad? He submitted for you and for me. Verse 23, but I will put into the hand of those who afflict you, who have said to you, lie down, that we may walk over you. You've laid your body like the ground and as the street for those who walk over. The very cross that Jesus bore for you and for me. He didn't do it in private. Starting what we call the Via Dolorosa, the walk of shame, not, not in the, the private quarters of Jerusalem, but in the very public areas. As Jesus was carrying that cross, what did the crowd say and do to him? They mocked him. 
And they shamed him. Many of those same people, by the way, who had laid down and called him Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is you, comes in the name of the Lord. As he's carrying that cross through the city, knowing that he would be crucified to that same cross for you and for me. Next week, we get to read chapter 52 and 53. I, I, I challenge you, read it this week. Not just once. Read it every day. It's, it's quick, you know. But, but as you're reading through it, uh, take it to heart. The, the, the amazing way that this torturous uh, process is going to be described isn't during the time of Jesus Christ. This is written 700 years before it takes place. The plan of God for Jesus to die for you and for me. And then, even better, this is the advanced. So if you want to do the advanced homework, you want to get extra credit, okay? Then read Psalms 22, okay? Which goes by even more detailed, by the way of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And read them side by side. Uh, Psalm 22, Isaiah 52, and 53. And in, in just an amazing way, you will appreciate what Jesus Christ did for you in an in a even greater detail. And thank God for what he did for you. Because so many times we take it for granted. What Jesus Christ did for us. And as it says in the very next verse, Awake, 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 awake. Open your eyes, be observant. Because Jesus Christ did this for you and for me. So Father, tonight as we, we close, I, I ask that you would not only awaken us out of our um, apathy, awaken us out, out of our complacency, awaken us out of our... Um, uh, you know, self-sufficiency uh, and selfishness, our will, our opinion, who we are. Instead, help us to see who you are and what you did for us, a, a selfish people. And so, Lord, this week, help us to desire with all of our hearts to share what you have, uh, whether it's told us or, or done for us this week, to those around us. Lord, I thank you so much for these, my friends and my family, those that are, that are here tonight, those that may be watching uh, uh, later or, or tomorrow or later on this week. I ask that you would bless them, Lord. To, to know you in a, a deeper way, to know you in a, a more intimate way, Lord, so that we can have that relationship with you that, that we long, that we want to share with other people. Help us to experience it deeply in our own lives and then share that with those around us. Lord, we thank you. We thank you. Change us tonight so that we are not the same as we exit this building as when we came in. And Lord, use us for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you.